we're probably in the final kind of hours waiting then to start going into, um, you know, the room and all of that. And the initial ding went on my phone and I had a look and it was the HR department in my current employer stating that they were in, re- are in restructure and my role was made redundant. All right, we're on it. I wonder what you mean when you use the word I. Use the word I. Settles. Today is uh, definitely someone extraordinary. Uh, Aoife O'Connell uh, is is a great person and someone who I really enjoyed talking with and meeting with. Um, she has had a very strange uh, encounter with uh, mental ill health or, or even just um, normal health in the workplace. She was actually uh, found out that she was made redundant during labour. Literally during her labour, she got the message. And so that was uh, a very interesting chat, finding out what sat behind that. But uh, we go deep into kind of workplace mental health around how we can create more purpose in our career and what techniques we can use to navigate life-altering experiences that come up when we don't expect it, like losing a job and having a child at the same time and having the legs of our chair well and truly rocked. Um, we also explore the concept of guilt and shame and how we can minimize that when it's so pervasive in our life in so many ways. Uh, we, we explore some more political topics in this one, so, you know, advocating for equal opportunities for women and, and unpacking that, you know, and exploring a lot of sides to that um, and what it means to step into your own voice in the workplace um, and uh, a whole bunch of stuff around parenting. Which I'm really excited to uh, to show to you guys. So, without further ado, welcome Eva. So, would you would you first and foremost describe yourself as a mum? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. Yep. I think most mums end up switching their identity from their name to their, their maternal role, do you think? Well, just in society, you're known as your, your daughter's mom. So it's right. like Rose's mom. No one knows your name. Right, right. <laughs> so you're just like, I'm Rose's mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Default. My mom uh, hates it because I used to work at Microsoft and now she works at Microsoft. And she's known as Mitch's mom even at work. And That's she's like, what? fuck, I thought I got away from this. <laughs> Um, once you were not a toddler, but I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to keep you in that role forever. Um, um, yeah, and so, so I guess there's a lot of, I mean, becoming a parent for mm-hmm. you has been uh, a, a hugely positive thing and something that I know has changed your life for the good, mm-hmm. um, and we're going to unpack that. But what's it like as a parent um, where your identity shifts literally overnight? Um. I've been reflecting on this and it's been a journey. So two years this year, my my daughter's two next month. And I have this analogy that when I had Rose, um, she broke me open and I found pieces I didn't have and put me back together again. Wow. What a gift. 
it's a journey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. And at the time, it doesn't feel like a gift. It feels like, um, you know, you're spiraling out of control to some degree. Um, first time as well. So you're learning constantly. You don't know, you know, what what's right, what's wrong. You've numbers on the fridge to call for backup, you know, 1-300. It's great. <laughs> l- l- like what, what number? Oh, for like choking and all okay. sorts. You know, okay. just it's because yeah. it's your you're kind of... Um, you're wrapping this beautiful newborn that's unexposed to the world that is mm. life in cotton wool. Yeah. And if you do something to harm that, um, you know, the, the plastic and the shine does come off it eventually and, and you become right. more comfortable. But, but the very first, you know, definitely the first three months is just any new parent, you know, just get them coffee. You're on, <laughs> you're on edge. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you're just learning. You're, you're, yeah. you're, you've just, you, and you don't want to do anything wrong. It's very hard right. to break them. But at that period in time, you just don't know if you can or if you can't. That's something, that sentence is something I want to come back to. You don't want to do anything wrong. I think that's a really interesting part of the psyche that I think gets wound up when people have children um and I mean I find babies necks very sensitive (laughs) like whenever I hold a baby that's new like freshly baked I'm like oh god its head is just gonna flop around and I'm gonna destroy it and I feel really bad I give you one tip: bypass the baby, hug the mom. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it, her it, head it, is fine. <laughs> she just needs a good cuddle. Right, right. It's the mom that needs yes. the affection. Note or to the self. dad, yeah. and the dad does too. Totally. I think they're overlooked completely, and that's a part of our journey as well. Because when with Rose and I, I'd only met my partner six months. Mm. Um, I'm 35 at the time, so you know. I fell in love, obviously, instantaneously, but it was not planned. So we kind of were just thrown into this new world of... You fell pregnant after six months. Correct. Right, got it, yeah. Um, Figuring out what we were... Obviously, going to this journey was going to be unpacked. And if I knew what type of journey it was then, I would never have imagined the last two years, Mm. to be honest. Um, So I think that's the analogy sits very very well is that I did find pieces I had no idea I mean I was cocktails and you know couture oh loving life Sydney you know as you would you're, you're you were single essentially mm. um and it's a beautiful city to be in but uh, it brought me brought me into the reality I'm very humbled by it and I, I needed that mm. um because it made me um very aware of my values mm. and what I believe in and how I want to be in the world and so take us back a little bit into your story. So um, so this wonderful life you have in Sydney wasn't um, where you've come from originally. So you're originally yeah. from Ireland? Yeah. So again, 11 years now, this year, um, emigrated due to simple uh, GFC, so economy. I was 23, I think, at the time. Um, I worked in uh, property, so I was an auctioneer, thinking, you know, perfect industry to be in when the economy's something um so <laughs> i was with my partner at the time and he was a new zealander and he said right let's give this side of the world a go and i said okay well i have nothing to use or to lose um birth order probably has a good ba- place to play as well i'm the youngest of five 
So I was like, you know, and um, and I'm an empath, so I feel an awful lot. So a burning economy would have had havoc on actually, you know, those primary years from, you know, 20 to 30. Mm. So emigrated, um, went to beautiful northern beaches, fell out of love with my partner, fell in love with Sydney. Mm -hmm. And then my career just started. I got into digital marketing um, and just kind of worked my way up into to the big corporate beast that Sydney is and that's what attracted me here it was mm. a very hard decision made easy initially because of the economy and then obviously so many years had gone past I'd formed a really successful happy um, professional relationship with, with where I lived mm. and I had a lot of fun and uh, so you're, you're one of five big family um, what was life like uh, growing up in Ireland what type of kid were you um I was a watcher, I think, because there was so much chaos going around. Because, you know, you're the youngest and there's teenagers and there's all sorts of um, activity happening in the house. Uh, The eldest is my brother and the rest of us are female. So we grew up in a very female-orientated, strong women environment. Um, My dad was in, he had his own business and and passed down from generation to generation. So very, um, you know, singular in our kind of whole um, existence as a family very close as well they all still only live 10-15 minutes away from wow. mum and dad which is wonderful mm-hmm. and that's um, been I'm in, very grateful for that because obviously immigrating so far away um, multiple nieces and nephews I think you know when everyone gets in the house there's 20 of us so you know that's just our family so we never kind of had to expand outside that really um, I'm very you know from a childhood I was always you know witnessing the fights of you know I want to go to the pub or I want to go with these friends so I'd often find myself with my mom trying to um, give her context to, you know, give a little bit of rope. It was funny because I think I became this kind of advisor <laughs> in some respects. <laughs> I, know, I don't know if she ever took any of that. But, um, so, yeah, just a, a really just a watcher, very aware of my surroundings, very aware of the energy and the vibe of someone. I can pick it up like a mile away and I'll take that on as my own. Mm. Okay. So it's, yeah, that's that's something I have to be very aware of because I know it can affect me, um, you know, just, just from how I am within an environment. And what was it like as a child um, in that situation and now as a mother who may or may not have more kids, um, how, how did you find trying to fight for mind share uh, from all of your siblings um, at your mum and your, and your dad to get, to get the love that you were wanting? Oh, good question. Um, I think I sat back an awful lot. I never demanded. I'm very, if they want to give it to me, or to, they will. So I mm-hmm. never, um, I think that's how I put that value exchange. If someone is willing to participate in my world, then I'm really open to embrace that. But it, I'm not going to have to convince you to do it. And so now as a mum, are you, are you considering having more kids? Maybe. Yeah. Um, I think I've just kind of come out of the whirlwind that was the last two years. So mm. it's potential. I'd love to. Um, undertaking you, that, yeah. let's see. <laughs> Do you see a potential? Um, is it hard? Is it hard to, because you love your um, daughter so much, would it be hard to share that love? I don't think so. No. I, I genuinely don't. I think, it, you know, love isn't defined by one person. Yeah. Even if they're your your daughter or your 
blood. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a beautiful thing to have even more of it. And you know, I've 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 relationships females that I have met through this journey who are now on their second and they're literally weeks off from having that and um, it's really interesting to see what their dynamic it's a completely different ball game because you know they're juggling this two or three year old and now they're going to have a newborn and I think that's the coming back to becoming a new parent is that initial stages of the first three to six months um, it's very difficult mentally um, because the child is still growing essentially and you can't kind of see their personality or you'll get a little smile but um, I think that's um, where you can go down the rabbit hole of you know postnatal depression and very isolated um, kind of environment because you just it's all give 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 mm. constantly and you don't and that's not the issue about giving it's just you don't know within yourself if you have any more of it to give yep. like physically and mentally so yeah that was but that's I but I think you know I think you you love unconditionally and you know I think mm. that's important in life. There's not a lot enough love in the world. Yeah, and and so so bringing the concept of um, parenting and mental health together. You mentioned depression before. Um, tell us a little bit about um, how everything unfolded for you, uh, particularly with the lens of those two concepts in the corporate world. Yes. Um, so as I said, um, yeah, I my story was I was. Um, preparing to have my daughter and I worked two weeks up until um, that was her due date and I went in to get an induction um, and when I was um, in the process of getting that happening the initial stages didn't work out so I was in there longer than anticipated so I was in the hospital probably 42 hours that was the whole kind of duration of it so you know a bit of downtime I was getting text messages in from family and friends checking in and probably the best bit of advice that I would give anyone is probably don't have your phone. And, and you're still in that mindset. You're not a mother. During labor? Yeah. yeah. Well, like pre, you know, you're on the waiting game. Right. You're, you're waiting about for to give it to birth kick to a in. Child. <laughs> yeah. You're induction. So you're induced. You've the, you're, you're tagged up. You're waiting for it all till your contractions are happening. I just learned a new word. Induction there is the process in which you enter the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's a process that enters you, actually. <laughs> right. <laughs> to right. make it all happen. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the gory bits, let's miss that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so essentially just to kick it along, because you haven't naturally gone into um, the whole process, your body hasn't started that. So an induction is, is to enable that for your mm-hmm. body to start relaxing and so on and so forth. So the first phase didn't happen. They they had to reevaluate that and go a different route in that process. So for me, there was a lot of downtime. You're kind of, oh, God, here we go. You know, anticipation. I was actually in, because um, I stayed overnight and I'd, I heard... Uh, which is horrific. I heard a female come through in the middle of the night. I, I woke me up in my sleep. I thought someone was being murdered. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was the first instance because I had. I was like, "What is that?" And then I went. And you're like, "I'm next." I know. Yeah. So the nurse comes in at five or four to check me. And goes, "So let's talk about drugs." <laughs> you're like, "Give me all of them. everything." Yeah, <laughs> immediately. Line me up. <laughs> um, forgot about that. So yeah, so that, that was the process. It was a bit of a long, long go. Um, we were probably in the final kind of hours, waiting then to start going into, um, you know, the room and all of that. And the initial ding went on my phone, and I had a look, and it was the HR department in my current employer stating that they were in rest- are in restructure, and my role was made redundant. So you were made redundant during labour. Correct. Okay. Um, How was that? 
what, how does what what happens in that moment when you're focusing on pushing out a child or about to, and your career and your livelihood is in jeopardy in that moment? Um, first thing is gas and air because that's what I signal for. It's the happy gas. Second mm-hmm. of all, you go into fight and flight. Okay. Um, I. I probably can't really articulate what that felt like, but it was certainly, um, I felt everything was on it and on the attack. So, you know, from the world that I really knew and who I was, was essentially just instantaneously removed. And I was now going into this new world. It was clearly removed. The def- definition was there. It was on the border. Mm. I was going into this world of the unknown and a completely different job opportunity was arising um yeah I, I felt really hurt and upset and um the, I think the magnitude of that experience can't be communicated enough to mm. people making these decisions that are not aware of their employees or know their employees mm-hmm. it's a very easy thing to just know someone mm-hmm. um and I think it's a right not a privilege yeah and you and it's a right and a privilege to it's not worth the money just to have that relationship Mm. and I think that's become inherent in what I stand for and where I want to go within my life and values and and so so you've got the text message you've you've gone holy shit I can't process this right now you've kind of put the phone down you've had your child yeah, well, I actually did respond <laughs> and I did. It was the CMO that newly appointed um, and I responded back because you actually do have to um, notify them for legal that you have a child. Every every organisation you have to state I have had a baby, you know, it's just for their, their HR purposes. So I did respond back and I went, um, what the fuck mm. is this? And... Um, he was. Uh, his response was, uh, "Don't worry. At this stage, we're only looking at senior positions. Good luck." And I kind of reflected on that. And I goes, "Well, I would have thought um, of a senior band level um, in the organisation that I uh, am, and my next progression would be that. That why wouldn't I be considered?" So it was kind of. I read between the lines. You're using your uterus, you know we're not interested in having this conversation so that was that and I just put the phone down and um, had my baby and I think you know then the euphoria kicks in there's this most beautiful euphoria that you'll never feel in your entire life you're on a high when you have this baby and new parents the first two three weeks it's just like what have we just done who is this Mm. little person Mm. it's phenomenal Um, so I was just buzzing thereafter of just the achievement that my body had done um and also just kind of mentally going through that healing process you know because you know and i and i was pretty straightforward we uh, i suppose coming back to your original question how did my body react i suppose not very well because i ended up in emergency c-section because everything just clenched up so you know probably preparing for a calm birth didn't help me out in the circumstances that i got handed (laughs) um so yeah um, got, uh, but everything worked out. Um, it was just unfortunately Rose at the time we kept losing her birth or her heartbeat, and um, we got rushed into emergency. And then luckily enough, we got the heartbeat back, um, and it enabled 10, 15 seconds for the surgeons to just regroup, and everything went smoothly then. Um, nothing was an issue, great. which was great. So, and again, on a side note, she's phenomenal uh, in regards to health, in regards to what a baby should do. 
you know, she ticks all those boxes. So I'm grateful every day because you never know the hand you're going to get dealt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the challenge of becoming a parent as well. It's Mm -hmm. the unknown. And and so I'm really happy to hear that you have a healthy, happy baby who's two years old now. Um, so the th- after three weeks, the euphoria wears off. What's what's the next move? Yeah, well, the next move was they were actually calling me. Um, it was I think it was two weeks in. Um, I did receive a call from HR about how they wanted to give me. Um, a very bespoke relationship through this process and to help me through it. And I went, okay. Um, and again, I... Had know, they confirmed the redundancy at this point? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So all, all roles had been removed. So the whole department was actually removed. Okay. Um, so all jobs were up for grabs in the new org chart that they were establishing. Um, you know, and, and I suppose... My story, even within this particular environment, wasn't in isolation. There was five other females on maternity leave also removed. Um, so it's not I'm not even exclusive uh, to this particular uh, organizational change. And so, yeah, I so I spoke to the HR. She goes, are you ready to interview? I'm like, it's two weeks. I've just had my baby. Well, I don't know my name at this stage. And, you know, um, I was told to contact my manager. Um, so we had conversations with that. And um, I, I, he just, yeah, I couldn't do it. I said, look, I'm not in a position to even be have a mental conversation right now. Um, and I hadn't actually got back to him. And on the morning that I should have uh, responded back that I was going to have this conversation, he just texted me. And I said, no, I'm not going to apply for a role. And he never responded. So I think there was just, yeah, I think it was, I was really vulnerable and I was unable to have that energy to be able to continue those discussions at that period in time. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they went and placed those roles. And then the next stage within this process is that once you're on maternity leave, you do have um, a three month retrenchment period that you go back into the organization. Um, so when I was kind of discovering those options, um, that was... That was something that, again, that process is broken. So the expectation is that you put your child into um, daycare and you go back and hopefully secure a role. Mm-hmm. So as you can imagine, you have to put deposits, you have to go through that energy of finding daycare and then inevitably you mightn't have a role. So that was a bit of a struggle. Um, so I, re- I just said that's unachievable. Financially, our family is now disadvantaged because the my employer also did attract talent on the basis of being the best uh, maternity leave within the, in the industry. And they um, offered people 14 weeks uh, statutory re- um, requirement, which is just the normal, but they would match that 14 weeks on a welcome back period, on the welcome back payment it's called, on when you return to work to a full-time role because we were made redundant and on return to work that's not deemed as a full-time role so we were I was unable to have that money so pre pre baby and when you're actually financially planning which is incredibly important we'd already allocated that money to be able to sustain having a year off mm-hmm. for maternity again being an expat and my partner um you know doesn't have family here where it's you know we don't have that luxury of being able to place our child with family or um, anyone close so it's, it's very independent mm. and, I, and and that's not uncommon living in a big city you know in one of the biggest um, industry like this industry um, hub of Australia so mm. very very common so yeah that was the process so kind of everything was 
um, very alarming to me when I looked under the hood. Um, I did approach fair trading to be able to understand what what was this the case. Um, and through this experience, I did find from corporate policies and what you do sign and what they do actually, um, you know, promote internally. It doesn't mean anything unless it's actually in the um, Fair Trading Agreement Act, so the policies that are listed with them. So it's all that's that's the most important thing I would encourage anyone that works for a large organisation is to look at them specifically, because it means squat until you actually have to avail of it and see what you're entitled to. Yeah, so that was the Fair Trading call. And um, I actually reached out to the five other women who had also gone through this scenario. And I was kind of like, why am I the only one here with a bit of fight? Um, I recognized later that I was still just thrown into this. I was still working in my own old world, if you like. Like I hadn't fully really stepped into motherhood or or this. It was just kind of like an experience at this point. Mm. Um, The penny didn't drop. This is the rest of my life. Mm, Yeah. Naive, right? Um, so I'd reached out and I said, ladies, you know, what do we do? How, A, how are you feeling first and foremost? And what's your experience like? So coming back to this very bespoke, tailored, um, you know, dialogue is that was isolation. And it completely isolated us from coming to ask the right questions and knowing what the right questions were to ask. And were all those mums also out of a job? Correct. And were they experiencing extreme distress like you were? Yes. And what I had what I had discovered is um, they were further along their journey. So three, six, eight months, actually one or two of them were at the, the period of returning back mm. to the organization. You're tired. You're you don't have time for these conversations. You know, you haven't slept in three months. Mm. Um, and that's been if you've a good child that is a sleeper, you still haven't slept. Mm. Um, and that's not even going into the detail of, of you know, having a child with difficulties. So uh, once I got to the three, six year, 18 months, I could then see what their experience was and why they didn't have that energy to have the conversation. And I think then um, I just, again, coming back to my own personal emotions on it, I felt um, devalued, um, Mm. not worthy, um, you know, just someone that, and and I felt even overdramatic, would you believe, to even bring this to attention. I was really ashamed of having this conversation and that was something that stuck with me because, again, when you become a new mother, you're placed in a mother's group, so it's a new circle of individuals you have to form a relationship with. And outside of even getting to know your children you actually want to form a bond personally and going hey I'm Aoife I'm not Rose's mom Mm -hmm. and what's the go-to question is what do you do for work and that just really affected me because you know I was always so proud and I was a huge advocate of this organization that had completely been removed from my dialogue so you felt betrayed 100% betrayed 100% um and I even gave them opportunity at the time of trying to work this out now it's coming to memory is um I responded back to HR and, you know, I dealt with the C-suite like in my role and, you know, they weren't very far away, you know, Um, and our current leader literally was two desks away from me. He was a female, you know, on on this uh, leadership team, there was two within six, I think, Um, two were female and the remainder male. And when I was speaking to the HR, I said, 
uh, this is an oversight there. You know, there's so much going on in a large scale organization. They just don't know that this is actually what's happening to their people. Can you outline it and bring it to their attention? And this is a massive opportunity for them to rectify a flawed, you know, um, employee experience. And um, so that was brought to the table and they did have a meeting and I got the response saying at this time they're not going to address it and they're not going to look at, um, you know, changing this at this moment in time. And at that, at that moment in time, that blew me out of the water. I actually could not, I was ashamed to have aligned myself with an organisation that... um, we're doing this internally under the hood mm-hmm. and removing the females to in, in this manner. Because then as I started to, you know, investigate and have conversation really more so than anything, um, I found that in this particular instance, this organization was one of the worst in the business. And you, you, you've mentioned a couple of times shame. Can you tell me a bit about exactly what the shame was? So I understand that it was that you're a new mum who was out of a job and you felt inferior, almost like you'd let your family down for not having a job, um, that you were wrong to raise a child without one. What, what was that like? Yeah, um, I've dug deep into that because mm. I had to figure out what that was as well. And I think a large percentage of it, which I know a large percentage was, is I chose to emigrate um, far away from my family and my success measure for me on that was what I had achieved in a a corporate environment or in a role. So at that moment in time, um, my parents were in their 70s, it was their first time going to come out to Australia in 10 years. So really due to this life milestone. Mm -hmm. And I felt I couldn't show them the reason why I had emigrated away from Got the it. people that love me the most. Right. So so uh, the distance from your family was justifiable in your mind because the trade-off was that you had built this amazing career and this was what you'd have to show for your life that you'd built abroad. And then when that um, evaporated, you went, well, was, was this whole transition worth it? Yeah, I doubted my choice, in a sense. Right. And my parents... Ten years of choice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's quite confronting. Definitely. Mm. Um, and again, just the rejection element of it. I wasn't good enough to be able to be sustained in, within the work chart. Right, so so the thing that you took a gamble on uh, ended up biting you in the ass. Right, so it was like salt in the wound. A little, yeah. Yeah. Or a lot. Yeah, I can, I can definitely appreciate how much that would rock your your world particularly Mm. amidst having your chemistry already rocked from having a baby um there's a lot of layers going on yeah and that's a very good point so from an emotional um yeah you're just turned upside down and inside out yeah um literally yeah so you know your chemical imbalance is completely all over whack so even if you know you didn't have and previously to that you know i had um so i do have social anxiety and um i had um you know played with the black dog a lot so depression mm-hmm. was key uh for me as well so again coming back to be um, very aware of my environment. I needed to protect myself from anything that would affect yeah. that. For to protect myself, and so your child, yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. So I, you know, it's. I went, you know, got my. Sh- I went to my doctor. I said, look, you know, we're we're thrown into this life 
um, experience. I know this is going to, you know, have challenges like it will. Um, I want to have a chat with someone. Can you refer me? She was excellent fantastic um, GP that I had. I was so lucky. She referred me to the psychologist. So this is pregnant. So I was like, I'm going to, um, you know, uh, prevent all this and be mm. proactive, not mm. reactive. And of course, I went in with my list and I said, I need to deal with this, this, this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If only it was that easy. <laughs> and my baby's here in four months. <laughs> yeah. So let's get it done before then. That would be great. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, great that I was open to getting help. But the actual reality of, of that value or the, the value of the help, no way it helps. Like I went to about four sessions or something and nothing towards the psychologist. Um, I actually had um, my brief was I want someone very firm, very aware, no bullshit. Like just none of this fluff stuff. Yep. Um, because I actually did play with... Um, the large corporations have a mental health plan that yep. they will give you and you get 12 sessions I think or 8 sessions um, yeah with, the, that's part of the government's initiative and then the corporations have the EAP on top of EAP that. that's yeah. the yeah. acronym yes so I had engaged with EAP previously just from um, you know life stuff right of course. you know and so I was very always open and very open with that communication I don't I don't feel any shame of you know people trying to work through their thoughts um so EAP I had experienced previously but I just felt that ex- uh, that rotation of um someone sitting on a chair across the way from me and wasn't investing in in what you needed to achieve um because they were only there for a few limited sessions for for a very limited subject correct right um and I think it's it was off the back of consistent change within large organization as well I was brought brought in and restructure so my skill set was essentially skills of the future as you'd be classified as um and to help you know meander these large transformational changes within the world that we live in to future proof us and um just the consistent inconsistency of the direction that the C-suite have is completely just, I I seriously think that they chop their head off and they just run around and they're like chickens (laughs) because they consistently change. Mm. Um, And they don't value the humans that are trying to um, work that in. I digress. So yeah, I did have that. So just going through that, you know, multiple layers of consistent change, I did reach and use those facilities. And when I became pregnant, I identified, right, I I need to up the ante here and invest in my own mental health plan. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm a firm believer of, you know, uh, mental health um, help is a luxury of the rich Mm -hmm. because it's so expensive. It is. Yeah, very. And I have really reflected on how unfair that is because you can go down in a, you know, a completely your life choice can completely evaporate, you know, when you don't have that help. Uh, so, yeah, I went to to her and I had my list and um, then I just, you know, baby brain started to kick in and um, the nesting started to happen. And um, I felt prepared, but not 100%. And then obviously through the experience that we went through from... Um, you know, my life changing, A, having a baby and losing my job in the same moment. So did you go back to the psychologist after that? No. Okay. Have yeah. you have you been since? 
not to that particular psychologist. But you've been to a therapist to talk about this stuff? Um, not in depth, but I have gone in a couple of sessions. You know what? I think I subcontracted that out <laughs> to surrounding myself with positive um, accounts on social media. So I went, you know, I have Oprah, I have Mel Robbins. <laughs> 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 I literally, con- I, and that was a massive tactic for me okay. to be able to give me, you know, I know it's it's not deep, but it certainly helps to give you some form of coping mechanisms Definitely. and methods. And Heart on My Sleeve is another one of those accounts that people can follow if, if they need to feel connected. Um, and so, so you mentioned that you had an underlying mental health um, presence with social anxiety and depression, and uh, I'm assuming that this whole situation flared all that up. Yeah. Um, other than your the the Instagram accounts and getting that inspiration, what other tools did you use to get through that period? Um, journaling. Mm-hmm. I do write down an awful lot as much as I possibly can. Um, I imagine your husband was a uh, your partner. Sorry, mm-hmm. was a big part of. Yeah, um, and I think. And he was, yes, absolutely. The first six months, he was 100% a rock. Um, but, you know, had challenges within mental health experience as well. So from postnatal depression from a male. Oh, um, wow. So that's his story, but it certainly rocked us from a unit mm. as well. Um, and I had experience in being able to manage, you know, helping support him and, and managing, um, you know, the expectations on him, both from a career um, and an empathy and then both from a family life. So that was really wow. difficult. It's another thing in the mix that you're managing. Yeah. So I felt I kind of put my healing process really on hold. I was on um, just basically press play I have to look after this you know little baby looking at me who needed to feed and um you know needed um all the the luxuries that she she needed just to be happy so yeah that was my prime purpose for six Mm. to a year to be honest survival mode completely and so um how did you get through that period and and uh where are you now in terms of you didn't go back to work there. Um, how did it end with your last employer? And then what have you been doing the last 18 months to two years um, to get to this mm-hmm. point? Um, so, yes, I didn't return. I, I just felt I, I reevaluated what my purpose was and who I wanted to align with. And that experience didn't sit well with me from a value point. Um, so I, I stepped back and, you know, I was in this kind of holding pattern of going, I want to be able to share my story but again I didn't if I I felt if I shared my story that's only going to disadvantage me being able to get a role Mm -hmm. because that's going people are going to look at me as a troublemaker as someone you know whistleblower correct and difficult Mm -hmm. and you know and that really and and that's the I know that is the other opinion of the other five females as well and other people that have had this conversation that have gone through similar experiences because this is rampant Mm-hmm. This is actually not uncommon, which is probably the most concerning thing. Um, statistically, I think the last was like one in five females go through this uh, from okay. a maternity point, you know, so on maternity leave. Um, so it's quite shocking. And it's the kind of lip service that is being played here is phenomenal. Um, 
so when I was realizing, re, realizing what I was going to do next, I kind of stepped back. First and foremost, I looked in what do I want to do professionally? And I was in digital and um, marketing. And I was looking at the way the world was changing, you know, from a communication lens, you know, um, technology is, is advancing at speeds that we can't keep up with. Um, and artificial intelligence was where I wanted to start going. So I literally researched all I could and I aligned with um, the smarts in San Diego. I said, you need to teach me here. Um, so they taught me everything I could about chatbots and um, I developed my own company called Yarnly AI. And um, since develop or since forming that, I kind of stepped into my own presence. Um, I am my brand. I am how I treat people. Um, and since being able to do that, I really like it. You know, I am not kind of um, a puppet on a string and having to spout the corporate line. It's amazing that you had, after everything that you've been through, you had the energy to learn a new industry and then start your own business whilst raising a baby with just a recent redundancy and a husband who's grieving. Yeah, um, I think I'm mad. That's a lot. That's a lot going on. <laughs> and you know what? I think that actually was my survival mode. Okay. That actually was my being being able to feed my brain with something that was completely detached emotionally and just from an education was making me better and hmm. um, that I could focus on that and giving myself my worth back. So, th- so throwing throwing your life into a new sense of purpose was part of your healing telling your story has been part of your healing journaling has been part of your healing um connecting with other people who've gone through the same thing is part of your healing um and because it seems right now that um the, the story has has had a has had a solid resolution in that you're um happily and stably running your own company in this new industry of artificial intelligence and chatbots yet your daughter is two years old happy and healthy and you've somewhat not made peace with but are in the process of reconciling what you went through with your previous employer um and you've just mentioned briefly some of the ways that you've been dealing with it but yet you haven't really gone through the professional and more structured routes of going to therapy and talking about it are there parts of the story that are still raw and still playing out and hurting you today oh i think so yeah I mean, I would lie if I said it didn't. I do think about it often. Mm. Um, but, you know, I suppose since forming really, and com- I suppose speaking to the world about my own business in the last six months, um, that's given me the strength and purpose that I can control and I don't, I'm not handing over the keys to someone else. And I think the pennies started to drop from me when I, you know, yes, it's a business, but I'm like, but what's what's the why behind the business mm-hmm. and what brought me on this journey and what I did not, you know, as you said, people wouldn't have that energy or the know-how or the want. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming back to how I want to be able to, you know, be the puzzle that will change this kind of corporate bureaucracy is um, enabling mother talent um, and giving handing them the keys to drive their own future. So that's who we, the more clients we get, the more mother talent we will employ right. and encourage educate um, these women to be able to, you know, be the skill set of the future. Because when I'm looking at, you know, the larger picture of the future of work, there's a lot of initiatives in this world about helping, you know, get girls and equality and, and being exposed to mm-hmm. tech. Um, but I was kind of sitting back and goes, you know, what about the mothers? Why, why are we completely overlooking the people that are, that's generalization, but 
predominantly the mothers that are doing this day in day out they have um they're teaching their children um uh, why can't if i teach them and bring them on board for the schools of the future they will naturally and organically pass that down to their kids and we'll have a better future so you're going from just women in tech to mothers in tech and you're cultivating a pipeline of employees who are new mothers and you're skilling them up in the areas of technical sales marketing etc um, and growing your business with them and I'm sure that would be incredibly healing to watch that process unfold yes yeah and I think that being able to see the change that I'm be the change you want to make so mm. being able to step into my story being not ashamed of it and actually voicing it and and you know if I can just help someone hear it that is going through this currently that you're not alone and um, you're not devalued and you, you're worthy mm. if I can just give that hope to one particular s- situation then then I know that I've I've done the right thing by me Definitely. because being quiet um, and of course you know we can go into a long lengthy discussion about legals and if you want to you know take a large corporation first of all it's it's the energy and the aggression situate aggressive environment that that would create but also if if I had gone down that route um you know I'd be NDA signed up yeah. to my eyeballs yeah and that's not going to promote change and it's not going to promote um, what is actually happening within corporate Australia. Mm. Well, I think the the best revenge is to live your best life um, and to be happy and be like, see, I can still do this without you. Yeah. And telling stories um, like this is, is a good one. And, and I actually think that the longer you leave yourself in anger and resentment and victim mode the more pain it actually does to you anyway it's if if for nothing else don't give them the satisfaction and what that's probably not the right way to put it because even that implies that there's a wrong and a right and there is wrong and right in this situation black and you know there is some black and white in it but a lot of it is well it just is and there's there's got to be a point where you you let go and become more than that story um Mm. And it sounds like you're in the process of of making meaning from it so that you feel like there's justice, um, so that you can live past it and redefine and, and reorientate yourself. Completely agree. And I yeah. think a key word here is actually not so much, um, um, I think a key word is education. Mm. It, it's not so much revenge. I'm, I'm not that human. I just think there's an inherent, Something that happens when a person walks through those turnstiles into a large building, they become detached from human emotion Mm. and unable to identify that employee and that one-to-one personal experience. And um, the further and further you go up the chain, the more detached you are from level one. From human Correct. So, what what would what's the main change you would like to see in corporate in the corporate world in Australia and internationally? Um, first and foremost, I think the change has to come from board members. I think that that's Tops where the pressure pressure is. Yeah. Um, I think uh, the C suite level, the, there's it's a holding pattern, right? Um, Julie Bishop said it perfectly. She said it perfectly. She said the perfect waste of a woman is to become a man. And I think the further um, you go up within this world, females are losing in touch of what they are uniquely different from an empathy um, and just that ability to bring knowledge and education of what 
raising children is and are. And from personally going through this experience, you know, I put my hand up, I've often just looked at mothers previously and go, oh, pamper brigade, you know, oh, should they, you know, kind of devaluing who they are. Um, however, going through this, I have a completely different perspective of it. These females and women are superhuman. We have just given birth to the population and yet we're doing multiple things over here because I think there's a, dis- there's a disconnect and the voice isn't being shouted loud enough. So coming back to the corporation, when females are at this level, they have a right to be able to share this in and amongst at that table. And I think... Um, you know, we're still in that transition period of, you know, six-year-old men, bald, and they're they're kind of making these decisions throughout, you know, how, how an employee experience should be, and both for the fathers. And I think there's, um, you kind of, I think when you're, it's like a mouse getting on one of those turnstiles and you're just, you're trying to, we're living in Sydney with mortgages. It's an expensive place to live. People know right, right from wrong, but they can't actually voice their opinion because if they voice their opinion, they're going to be removed and they're not going to be able to be the change that they can make when they're relying on that wage. And specifically, no, from my experience, my partner has, you know, being a male and you know has two weeks paternity leave and they're trying to articulate how you you manage both family and life they shouldn't be detached they should be one you Mm. know um and i think that's just the how um they need to to relook at it hr isn't human relations you know we you have to we have to stop looking at it as just resources we're humans Mm. you know and um i think there's a lot more that has to be done to be able to make that change. Like there's a lot of roles coming up I'm seeing, you know, to be that um, operational change management and to be able to bring human and empathy back in. I think even hiring from that skill set, they're not actually asking what have you gone through and experienced from a negative point. Lived experience, point. yeah. So, so you're advocating for a more human approach to corporate business where we see the full person and we encourage people to bring their full self to work. Um, what would you say to people who would say, because um, I want to play devil's advocate, whoever's listening, they probably have a million thoughts in their head wanting to ask you questions, so I'm going to try and field some of them. So um, uh, someone who would say this is a feminist view and um, there's entitlement toward you, what would you say that to that? Um, great question, because that's one of the fears of telling your story. Right. You're automatically put in that box you're mm-hmm. you're a feminist um and if you actually know the true definition of a fem- feminist it's not necessarily to do with gender um it's giving females the equal opportunity equal rights, yeah. like i it blows my brain when i'm seeing pictures on linkedin and you know strategically place the ceo with five smiling women at a high tea mm. i'm like what is that doing for equal rights and you know promoting international women's day you know they're missing the piece and i think there's um people are being very tight-lipped they're looking at these posts from these large corporations and behind the scenes are going are you serious Mm -hmm. um but right now they're either an employee of you because they need the wage Mm -hmm. and they need to be able to support and and be responsible for their family so i can get i know i can get that opinion off the bat and specifically from men of course Mm. um but i think if you actually sit down and have a conversation with me then you'll know it's not from a very female biased mm. perspective um, it's from an equal one and that's all we want and that's all I want yeah and for and I, and I also want to clarify I don't think you're advocating for a a, um, a a human corporate world that's 
almost like a nannying state. You don't want someone to take complete um, accountability for something that's not theirs, i.e. the employer doesn't need to solve all your problems or whatever. You're just asking for an acknowledgement of the human side of things and to have a, um, a reasonably practical solution set and allowance to understanding the things that are uniquely women orientated like maternity leave and job security during that time. Is that correct? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I think just the world in itself is changing. Like, you know, you have to be, you have to stand for something more than, a you know, a corporate um stock exchange and, and the money going up mm-hmm. you have to have purpose mm-hmm. and I think organisations are are finding that difficult to know what their purpose is and to just enable those employees to live it mm-hmm. you know they say there's a lot of taglines bring yourself to work but what are the ma- managers being able to actually do to promote Yeah what does that, that actually look like? Yeah. yeah and it's top down it's not bottom up yeah. um, and uh, yeah I, I just think there's there's definitely a full sense of self when they walk in those doors and um, they don't look at people as humans yeah. and you know coming back to the um, you know employees of the future you know we're looking at you know 16, 17, 18 year old YouTube stars mm-hmm. you know they might want to go into finance right and they go into finance but that large corporation does something inappropriate or you know stands for something that they shouldn't like unequal gay rights or something you know yeah you have one employee within your organization but they have a media follow Mm. in their pocket of maybe 15,000 Instagram fans and they won't stand for that so it's it's really interesting to me um, what is going to evolve in a very short period of time like under 10 years of the future of work and I don't think companies are um, at the level well the people making the decisions um, aren't really aware of that full force that can mm. happen. And to tie this back to, to mental health, how um, what are some of the main learnings you've got from how this has affected your mental health? Um, main learnings. Um, I think, you know, the very first thing is to just have I had a really unhealthy roommate in my head um, and I had, you know, an abusive relationship with that person and it tormented me. And my inner voice was really crooked, like it was not a nice place to be. And Pre I th- and post pregnancy? Um, post specifically. Um, I, c- I couldn't numb it and I kind of went down the rabbit hole of trying to as well. So, you know, even from a scenario of... You have money in the bank because you, you got your payout. You're sitting there. What are you going to do? You can't deal with who you are. You're looking at your child who's trying to, you know, um, bring you all the light that there is in the world, that 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 what the world is about, and nothing is fulfilling you. Mm. Um, I had a comment or asked a question saying, oh, you must feel all the love in the world. And at that period in time, I, di- I didn't feel anything. And that was probably one of the most confronting things that I have ever gone through, regardless of any scenario. Um, Because this was something I'm, or my baby I made, and I didn't feel anything. Mm. And that really didn't come till probably six, eight months in. And that was probably the hardest thing to to deal with. Like I could be found in a ball on the floor, just unaware of what to do. 
and just kind of staring blankly, you know, and, you know, uh, my partner at the time having to deal with, you know, the pressures of having to be in work and the time constraints that happens and making sure that I'm okay. Mm. Um, You know, there was periods that um, I didn't have a network or A, I didn't want to alarm family. So that wasn't on the table for me. I didn't want to ring home and have that conversation. Do you think looking back on it now, that was the right choice? No, Mm. no. Um, so that would be something I would definitely advocate in is is just have the conversation a lot sooner than I did mm. um, and just and allow people to be aware because if they're aware they can check on you if they don't know they can't mm-hmm. and then that would remove half of the isolation I feel um, so that was probably the hardest thing initially I mean I remember walking around um <laughs> Narbing Lake and I was like I don't know who I have to call and I have to call someone mm. so I ended up calling Lifeline nice that's very good I'm a Lifeline volunteer and we hope that you call people like us awesome yeah. Yeah. Um, so I did and um, yeah I, I they walked me through that process and it was again it was kind of the start of you know uh, other factors affecting our home life as well so I was just feeling like the walls were starting to close yep. in slowly yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like I'm only one human yeah what am I going to do can only take so much yeah I felt like I was going to burst I was a balloon ready to go mm-hmm. and um yeah they walked me through you know just literally it was just dialogue someone to be able to express this to you that I know won't have an opinion mm-hmm. and that will um affect any judgment on me and I think um, you know there's a misconception that when you have a new child as well it's you know you're at home baking and it's all this beautiful (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, fantasy whereas in the reality of actually what can be quite confronting is very very um, raw and dark and if you could articulate what you do think um, you potentially could be locked up and that's the scariest thing yeah. Um, and that was the scariest thing for me. And I, I did um, meet someone through a community of actually through a female um, business community online. And um, this um, she had an initiative of starting an anxiety project. So she was looking for a kind of people to help support her with content um, and just go through her program. So that actually pulled me out of that particular period. And I found a huge um, support with her just from a personal level. And we became firm friends. So do you think that that relationship and diving into that project, telling your story and was that the thing that changed the trajectory of your experience? What was the biggest thing, do you think? Um, yes, that would have been. Um, and I think uh, we had a trip home to Ireland to obviously introduce Rose to the, the extended family. And on my return back to Australia, I just knew something was going to give. I kind of felt like I had, um, you know, you're, you're, you're showing off your new little beautiful daughter so you're you're supposed to be happy and you're supposed to have all these beautiful emotions and you know you haven't seen your family in a long time but that was pretty confronting so I knew on my return that something had to give and just putting myself more so into that program and relying on on this relationship and and our friendship that started to blossom out of being real and raw and Mm. um, could actually articulate without judgment um, was probably the most important thing to get me in a place of um, self-worth again. Mm. Okay. So it was really the thing that changed the the feeling like there's no hope to then building back up to where you are was 
just truly feeling understood by someone. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. That is exact. I think everyone just wants to be understood. Yeah. Um, for who you are, actually who you are, not the facade, not the, yeah, you know. The real. Yeah. Like, I mean, even previously, like I was in more relationship with Latan and Akan, like honestly. A what? Latan and Akan is like fake tan. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> like that was like my relationship. Yeah, yeah. The darker I was, um, the more put together I was. Okay. And that was how I controlled my internal angst. So if I felt absolutely, you know, like near on, like really bad thoughts, I would have a blow dry full face, everything. Mm. You know, I would look immaculate. And that's how I controlled it to the outside world. But underneath, I was like a crumbling mess, insecure of how who I was. And I I think that was because I didn't have a relationship who I was. And it sounds like Rose was the catalyst, your daughter, to dropping the exterior band-aids like the fake tans and actually being like hey i'm forcing you to look inwards completely and i think that's because you 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 do not have singular time ever again Hmm. like the reality is you don't Hmm. and once you have children you are sharing that space with other energy Hmm. and other needs that are before your own and um that was probably a the best lesson and experience because it naturally dissolved the mundane things that I would torture myself with <laughs> you yeah. know and bring um allow space to grow with the real raw um you know meetups in my head that I would have you know am I good enough have I you know I'd have a conversation or an experience and I would walk away from that going oh my god did that person like me did I say that word was I did I say that oh my mm. god I mispronounced typical that. social anxiety dialogue completely and that would I would focus on that for you know days and days and days mm. and then I had the ability to just switch that off and forget it and I think here's a really important time to address a really hard topic, um, but that's what we're doing on this podcast and with this organisation. Some people have children to wash away those insecurities. They have a child to to rescue them, mm. to rescue them from their demons, um, to take away the mind cheddar, to give them purpose, to give them meaning. Um which I think is natural and normal and logical, but can be damaging because what happens is the child then is expected to be the parent's saviour and that's dangerous because the parent then can subconsciously without knowing it actually project their own stuff onto it and um, take it out on the child if and when it doesn't resolve all of life's problems. And it's just like, hey, I just came into the world. I'm trying to live. And over the course of um, childhood and adolescence, um, if the parent hasn't done enough work or ha- is, is prepared to, to work through their own insecurities outside of their child, um, the cycle perpetuates. And so how do we strike a balance between wanting to create life and it's okay that the child does give you purpose without it being an excuse or a scapegoat to want to put all your problems away and hope that that is your escape Hmm. um yeah it opened up some wounds you didn't know you had honestly and i think after you have a child um 
you become someone you didn't know you were as well. So it brings uh, your body strained, right? You don't have sleep. You're second to to this individual, yeah. um, and to everything else in your life um, is is second best because you have to ensure that this. Um, person that's relying on you is safe and and looked after and there's kind of you enter into this it, it will make anything that you had previously raw or and um more visible and you have less patience to be able to hide it under the tan and the yeah. the, the blow dries you <laughs> yeah. don't have it yeah so you become very comfortable with it and whether you make that comfortable um experience uh, like trying to, f- to find it positive or you're actually going to let that fester and as you said project it onto the child and the worst case scenario is that mm. yeah I, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate for you don't need to be squeaky clean and you don't need to be you know completely healed and free of any of your demons I don't think that's possible regardless of who you are but I think it's really important that you get your shit together before you become a parent. I actually think it's selfish if you don't. Yeah. Um, you know, people say, there's no book on parenting. I'm just, you know, living my life. And I'm like, there's tons of books on parenting. And in fact, I'll summarize all of them for you. Um, work your own shit out so that you don't make it your child's problem. Yeah. Um, now that said, can you and your child heal together? Absolutely. And you're both going to learn from each other and grow together and it's going to be a huge part of your own healing journey. But if if it is your source of escape and if it's your get-out-of-jail card, I would really rethink um, your intent to becoming a parent before you do that. Yeah, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Because it's going to expose you in a, in a way that you never knew that was there mm. in a bad, negative sense. Yeah. Um, and unless you're ready to confront that and, and actually put things in place to start managing it and yeah. healing from it, you're going to be in a very tough scenario. And it's, it just reminded me, actually, I put up a... I don't usually do posts like this, but I'm trying to be... Um, uh, my number one value is real and authentic and I think that's not an excuse for poor behavior so I always filter it through I can't just say I'm doing that because I like to be honest and like if you Mm. know deal with it or not but I was on the bus the other day and I was on my way to work and I saw this uh, it happened to be a lady this has nothing to do with gender it equally could have been a a man who was a mum, and she was sitting on the seat and her two kids were behind her and I noticed the kids looking out from the window and pointing and being like, you know, why, why do the waves crash like that? And then, you know, what, what, what's on the grass over there? And like kids do, incessantly asking questions, which is the beauty and the, uh, of the pure curiosity, which is like, what is this world? Mm. And for me, I looked at it and I was like, wow, that's just so amazing watching the, them just get all this stimulus and soak it all in. And the mother was just like, sit down, shut up, stop asking questions. And, and um, yes, that's exactly what it is. And, da, da, da. and um, I took a photo of the back of the mother's head and I posted it to my Instagram and I said, why do people become parents if it just becomes this chore? And, and um, you know, it's like we've lost the magic of wanting to sit with that child's curiosity and learn and listen. And I had a few people reach out, one in particular who was very offended by that for two reasons. A, they thought that I was mum shaming, which I mm. 100% wasn't. Um, this had nothing to do with gender. But, but I understood their second point, which was, hey, give parents a break because you don't know if that parent had, 
you know, just been up all night with the child vomiting. They're on very little sleep. Um, they're doing their best. They're giving it their best crack. You can't take a 10-second window and say, well, that p- parent is horrible and just treating their, their experience like it which I totally agree with. And I don't have children. I've watched my parents raise uh, two, two girls that are 15 years younger than me. Um, so I have had very close exposure to it. But I know what it's like to be a child and have a parent um, and the impact that that can have on someone's psyche. And what I saw in that 10-second window, you can tell not fully, but I had a pretty good damn understanding that that was the way she treated her kids Mm. for the most part and nothing informed that other than I'm a pretty good judge of character with a psychology degree and I do this stuff for a living and I'm like that person is stifling their child's curiosity and playfulness and that's going to have very long-term consequences down the track and and this isn't me making it up because if you go to the research um, 65% of people have um, attachment issues Mm. um, 50 to 60 um, which means that the parenting style has caused fractures in someone's sense of self and as a result they have either disorganized, um, anxious uh, or um, dismissive uh, relationship abilities later on in life because of the way that they were parented. So we know that one in two parenting relationships are unhealthy. Um, and, uh, and so it's not an anomaly and I don't want to. I don't want to mum shame. I don't want to parent shame. It's a fucking hard job, and I'll and I will experience that one day, I'm sure. But what I want to make clear is that that's just because it's hard. It's not an excuse. You signed up to be a parent. You know how. You know it's going to be tough, and it's not an excuse to always say, "Oh, that's just it because I'm tired." Fair enough. Um, but that doesn't mean avoid the work to how can I become a better parent and work on that every day. I think that's really all that I would mm. advocate for is, is being invested in the self-awareness to take one step foot, one step forward of being, of wanting to be a parent, better parent every day. If that is the case, if that's the North star, fair enough, mm. all good. But when I see people who are parents who look like they don't want any investment to w- want to work on themselves or to be more curious as to how they can be a better parent, that's what gets me upset. And I think that's when you when you have kids, it's like that crossroads. Do you go right, which it's the right thing, or do you go left? And that's coming back to who you are as a person. And you either can initially just kind of give up on yourself and who you want to be and just let all, like, you know, because they can test you and they do test you. Of course. And that's um, the test is, is ensuring that you're doing the right thing by you. You have to come back to you and making sure that you are feeding your soul. You're giving yourself yeah. opportunity, whatever that may look like. The and if oxygen you're, mask is fitted it's first. For, uh, correct. Yeah, totally. And until you're doing that, you're not going to be able to help support your child, be the person that they can make beautiful change in the world. You know, we need better humans. We need better people that want to make this world and sustain this world that we potentially have started to destroy, you know, from an environmental stage and all that. But um, it comes back to you. And I've had this conversation multiple times. You have to be selfish to an extent to be able to feed your soul um, and to kind of carve out who you are and what your inherent values are and what your vision is for you what what you want because that will only stand true to what they see and how they see life should be led Mm. um and yeah coming back to that look 
with that scenario is yeah time are sleep deprived and there's multiple things that can set you off um but it's kind of when you're tested at that element you need to bring your character up to a place that doesn't default to a negative um i guess approach with your kid because mm-hmm. it's not fair yeah it's true and and you know i i think that investing in investing in healthy parenting for is one of the biggest things we need to do as a society like we think about how are we going to tackle this mental health epidemic we invest in hospitals we invest in schools we have charities doing their bit you know we have research into diet and blah 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 i think the the research and support around helping parents be mm. better parents is one of the most overlooked things because if you actually talk to psychologists most people's issues stem from their relationship with their mum or the dad um it is such a dire consequence and we we talk about how do we get you know into do more schools programs and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and work with the kids and it's like yo why don't we work with the parents more and affect change through them because they're the ones spending all the time with it and you can do all the good school programs you want but if they go home and the dynamic isn't right there everything's gonna unravel a hundred percent we have to we have to support parents better if we want to make a difference because that's where it starts literally on day zero Mm. there is no greater investment I think that we can make um, that is preventative than in better parenting and and it's and helping the parents going through that experience there isn't much out there yeah um, even pre you know you do your pre- prenatal and you kind of go through a course on a weekend to become a parent mm. and that's it but yeah. from an emotional layer there's very little um, actually Gidget Foundation is one yeah, that is a fantastic organisation yeah. and it's, I'm a huge advocate of them and that will be probably the best advice that I could get if anyone is having you know difficulties becoming a parent and just meandering that um, because you go through a whole transition of who you are and and you don't know yourself and mm. it's it's very difficult and even from a relationship and friends as well and that um, community and, and making sure that you, you have the right people around you is incredibly important and they mightn't get it. Yeah, I find that, um, that Gidget are arguably the strongest leaders in the postnatal game. Um, from a charity standpoint. And um, I also really advocate for the work of Dr. Dan Siegel for what it's worth. He has amazing books on parenting and um, I would encourage everyone out there to, to have a read um, or to research his stuff, um, particularly Parenting from the Inside Out is a really good book. Um, we've covered so many topics here <laughs> and uh, we, we have gone over time. So um, we'll wrap it up. I've, I've learned a lot from, from you and I'm really glad that we get to share your story. Um, are there any final remarks that you'd want to say? Um, be the change you want to make. And I think don't let um, anyone determine your voice and your own experience. Step into it and own it. Mm. Good advice. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much, um, Aoife. And uh, for anyone that's interested in finding out more, um, we'll leave some details in the description. And um, we hope any parents out there or future parents who are having a tough day um, to take some solace in this story. Um, And as much as I was saying that uh, we need to do a better job, it's also a really tough job. So um, I hear you, I feel you, and we're all in it together. Uh, emotions have a natural tendency to dissipate unless they get uh, reinforced. 
And so if there's more thoughts, more stories, more intentions come along. So the act of how am I leaving it alone is an act of not act adding more stories, adding fuel to it. So it might not go away in two minutes, but it then begins to relax and dissipate. And so rather than being the person who has to fix it, we become the person who makes space for the heart, the mind to relax and settle away itself.